Crimesaw listeners, we're your hosts, Ashley and Ricky, and we're here today with another true crime episode that we both researched, put together, and hosted just for you. The information that we find is found in news articles, interviews, police documents, and recordings, and we gather these things and put together a story. And also, who doesn't enjoy investigating a true crime every Wednesday as you're working or driving your commute? That's where we come in. And before we begin, we'd like to send a special thank you to our new supporters on Patreon. We have two new patrons this week, Rachel and Lisa. Thank you so much for your support. You guys are amazing. Oh, and one more thing. If you would like to help support Crime Salad, share our podcast with a friend and give us a five-star review on iTunes or any platform you listen to podcasts on. Where do you look for someone when their phone has been shut off for five days and as a college student hasn't showed up for important classes that you know she would never miss? Mackenzie Lewick was 23 when she went missing just a few weeks ago on June 17, 2019. Family and friends were doing all that they could as they were counting the days when they last heard from her. They spent hours and hours of handing out flyers and posting pictures and videos on social media, trying to get the word out that Mackenzie is missing, thinking someone has to know something. This investigation is still ongoing today, but suspicious evidence starts to appear as police look further into what happened to Mackenzie. Even though Mackenzie is a young adult, her family and friends insisted that it's really not like her at all to just vanish. They had an alarming feeling that something was wrong, and like anyone, the thoughts running through your head at a situation like this, you might begin to think the worst. Maybe even trying to convince yourself that she's probably fine, all you can really do is search as much as you can and pray, hoping she comes home soon. So Mackenzie was last seen on surveillance footage at the Salt Lake City International Airport with her luggage as she just got off a flight from California to attend her grandmother's funeral. Around this time, she texts her parents to let them know her plane has landed safely in Utah, which was around 2 a.m. She was a student at the University of Utah, and this week was especially important because she had to take her midterms and planned to return back to California to spend more time with the family. Her friends who were also students at the University of Utah noticed something was unlike her after she wasn't answering any text messages or phone calls. She wasn't on any social media websites at all for days, not just hours, but days. They stuck to their gut feeling that something was wrong, so they reached out to her parents and the police to report she was missing and might be in danger. A lot of people who didn't know Mackenzie as well thought maybe she ran away, and even at the first response to her going missing, the police felt there wasn't a huge threat that she was not found yet this early in her disappearance. But of course, they kept searching as well as her friends and her family. At this point, things were getting more serious. 
Her family and her friends were completely exhausted from the worry of what if something happened to Mackenzie and they weren't giving up. At this point, police report that Mackenzie is missing. This is when they request the surveillance video that was recorded at the airport with her luggage, but find no other trace after that. They report Mackenzie has gone missing all over the news with the images of her last scene at the airport. Police soon get permission to search her phone records to see if there's anything they could find, searching through text messages, calls, and social apps on her phone. And during this very detailed search, they find that Mackenzie used a rideshare service such as Lyft or Uber to pick her up at the airport, thinking maybe she was being dropped off at her home. But looking further into this trip she took, that's not the case. They find a ride was requested from the airport to Hatch Park, which is about a 20-minute drive from the airport. It shows that it was close to 3 a.m. when she was dropped off. Once police speak to the driver who drove Mackenzie that night, they said that there wasn't anything abnormal with the ride or Mackenzie at all, other than requesting to be dropped off at 3 a.m. at the local park. One thing the driver did happen to see was there was a car parked. As she left the driver, she walked over to the parked car and got inside. Police opened a tip line specific for Mackenzie, hoping to get anyone who saw her or just anything, even if it's just a little out of the normal, to possibly make the next step towards finding Mackenzie for her safety and also for her family and close friends who were actively searching for her every day. They requested to search the cameras at the park, hoping to come across any trace of Mackenzie, maybe to see if they can find any other information. But when they request surveillance footage, they find out that the cameras are fake and just for show, just to scare visitors. What is the purpose of putting up cameras and they're not even real? Shouldn't there be a law that all public places have cameras? Oh, and not fake ones? However, looking at other parks, is it actually really common that you see cameras? KSL, a news station, asked a few questions for the park. They found out while speaking to the mayor that the Salt Lake City area has 17 parks and only four parks have surveillance cameras. This is because of cost. And even looking further past this area, sadly, it's actually quite common to have fake cameras at parks. While police investigated her phone records more thoroughly, they were able to ping her last known location, well, until her phone was disconnected, which surprisingly was just moments after she was dropped off at the park. This made things really more concerning because really, what are the chances? Someone has to know what happened to her. Since the tip line was open, police received more than 200 tips about Mackenzie, and one of those tips led them to the next move. The call that they received was from a neighbor near the park who noticed someone was burning something with gasoline in their backyard on June 17th and on June 18th and noticed smoke. It would be weird to see a large fire in the backyard in this type of neighborhood. Specifically, this backyard wasn't very big and it was located in a neighborhood where the houses were very close to each other. So if one neighbor is doing something weird or suspicious, most likely someone is always peeking through the blinds. The suspicious neighbor is 31 years old by the name of Ayula Ajayi. He also goes by AJ. 
This guy is quite successful, super smart, works as an IT specialist, former Army Information Technology Specialist, and most recently worked for Goldman Sachs and Dell. This just kind of supports the fact when police say to call into the tip line no matter if it's just something a little bit off or maybe you think it doesn't relate, it's best just to call and leave that information with the police and they will handle it from there because this recent tip becomes huge in the next steps of this case. So even though there could be suspicious evidence that police didn't provide to the community yet, police enforced a search warrant of his home. Officers brought canine units, a SWAT team, and forensic personnel. And this turned out to be a huge deal against him immediately. He tried telling police that he doesn't know what the missing girl looks like. However, when they searched his phone, he had pictures of her saved in his phone. So at this point, where was she? And not to mention the text messages from his number to her phone around 6pm the night before. Police had a match. When seeing his whereabouts the night Mackenzie went missing, AJ's phone was pinged in the park within a minute of each other. To refresh your memory, at 3am, police said this was approximately the same time that Mackenzie's phone stopped receiving data or location services. Is this a coincidence? I don't think so. When the investigation continued, police noticed that there was an area in the backyard that was freshly dug up along with a burn area, most likely the area where he lit fire with gasoline. Police found that a mattress was recently listed for free online, and that it was missing from the home. Although it was already given away, it was urgent that police get the mattress to test for any valuable forensic evidence, being that he listed the mattress just a few days after Mackenzie went missing. When a specialized forensic team searched the area, They discovered charred material that matched Mackenzie's personal belongings, and also charred human tissue. And once it was tested, the DNA of the human tissue was found to be consistent with Mackenzie. We're going to take a quick break here to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online service that I personally use for my mental health. They provide a number of professional licensed counselors who specialize in all situations that may be interfering with your happiness. It's seriously my personal outlet to get my mind right. It's affordable. It's so convenient. I decided to give BetterHelp a shot when I was going through a very anxious part of my life. So I just signed up and I was matched with an amazing counselor who was so willing to talk with me right away. We actually set up a video chat later in the week to catch up. We are all so busy. Give yourself the care that you need today. Start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash crime salad. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crime salad. When the findings on AJ's properties were announced on local news stations all over the U.S., more suspicious details about AJ were coming to the surface as more and more tips were coming in. A man named Brian told police that he spoke with AJ in April of this year. AJ requested him to construct a small room, almost like a hollowed out space, and for it to be completely soundproof and sealed with large metal hooks mounted on the walls, just a little higher than head height, which he said he wanted to hang a wine rack 
and wanted the door to be secure with a fingerprint lock key so that he would be the only one who could open it. And when AJ was asked what he was needing that for, he said that he needed the room to hide alcohol from his Mormon girlfriend. And luckily, the contractor backed out of the request because he said it felt really weird and very uncomfortable. But he told Brian that he was willing to pay whatever it costs and was very adamant that this gets done as soon as possible. And another thing that we came across that's odd is a housekeeper claimed that the inside of the house was covered in surveillance cameras, particularly in his bedroom. There were several facing the bed. Now what on earth? Why were there so many cameras and what was he protecting? Just as a creepy side note, the basement was actually rented out as a room on Airbnb for $27 a night. I mean, how messed up is that? The young woman who was hired to clean the house shared this information with the media, but quit after one day when discovering the cameras, which made her feel very uncomfortable in the house and to be around AJ, which she says he came off nice, but like in a weird way especially when he specifically asked for her 12-year-old daughter to come along with her. She just had a gut feeling and mentioned that he kind of reminded her of Ted Bundy, the serial killer, who lived just a few minutes away from the house. So yeah, we know that AJ's not at all right in the head. And just another thing to add with the weird creepiness of this guy, he recently wrote a book that was sold on Amazon, which has recently been taken down, but it was called Forged Identity. We didn't read it or plan to support this book in any way, but he talks about bodies being burned in fire and kind of made us think that this was all a premeditated, like, sick urge he wanted to play out. Or this was something he's done in the past. Whatever the case, it's just very disturbing. According to AJ's ex-wife, Tanisha, she's seen his violent side firsthand and said she narrowly escaped being murdered by him in recent past, and she has been hiding ever since. The two met in Dallas, Texas when she was pregnant with her previous partner's baby in 2011 and quickly married each other that year. Tanisha had four children and was currently pregnant. Her grandmother introduced the two and told her she finally found a really nice man for her. Tanisha's response was like, oh, you found a guy for me? Is he crazy or is he a killer or something? Really as a joke, but her grandmother was like, no, he's a really good person. But how ironic is that? Tanisha described him as very cool and loving and was a great father figure for the four children. But once her newest baby was born, everything suddenly changed. AJ all of a sudden wanted to move from Dallas, Texas back to Utah, but Tanisha didn't want to move. She told him that she had family here and that she didn't want to take the kids anywhere from their home. So there was a lot of back and forth arguing between the two. After this, he became extremely angry and aggressive towards her, started making sure she didn't talk to anyone, and constantly kept checking on her. Over time, he became more and more abusive and told her if she didn't move to Utah with him, he'd kill her. We really don't know what was in Utah or if there's a job or something for him, but this was some distance to move the entire family. While they were at her friend's house in Dallas, and we're not for sure what set AJ off, 
But she mentions that he violently attacked her and tied her up with a phone cord. And when she tried to run, he blocked off the door. Panicking, she jumped through a window, cutting her arm on the glass. AJ then chased her into the street with a knife, swinging his knife and cutting her hand. She said she didn't go to the police that night, mostly out of fear, but she moved out of her apartment right away. After this, AJ refused to sign any divorce papers, and one of his friends kept calling her over and over, warning her that she's going to get kidnapped and killed. Enough was finally enough, and Tanisha changed her phone number and went into hiding, cutting off all communication with AJ. If she didn't do this, she might not have been alive. We were able to find some information about AJ's old roommate, Shikari, too. And he mostly said good things about his roommate, even though their time together was short and only lasted a few months. But Shikari told the Salt Lake Tribune that AJ was an Airbnb host who was pretty intelligent and always had a good relationship with his clients. He also said that AJ was kind of the guy to be like, hey, let's go to the Asian supermarket and buy a couple crabs and go back to my house and eat. He also mentioned that he often invited women over, but didn't seem to ever have any long-lasting relationships. Although, when asked about AJ's prior marriage, he had no idea that he was even married and didn't know much of his past life at all. However, Shikari said that it was AJ's anger issues that eventually drove him out. He said although he was mostly polite, he would suddenly become irate and disruptive over small things like disagreements on how furniture is arranged. He also said that he didn't like being told anything other than his way, or he'd snap and lose his temper, but he'd quickly come back to his sweet self. Although, even though he said he had a temper, he never saw him act physically violent. In an interview with the Salt Lake City's KUTV, Chief of Police Mike Brown, which I recommend you listen to, released to the public that there's been two search warrants, and that this is a very complicated and active case, with a huge digital footprint. He felt very confident that there'll be more warrants as the search continues, which is chilling. However, Chief Brown was not able to answer two very key questions in the interview. Did AJ act alone? And was this the first time that he met Mackenzie? Or did the two of them have a history together? A private investigator included that the relationship Mackenzie and AJ had together will likely be key in this investigation. The private investigator also said that the relationship will be a big part in the investigation and that they'll get more information on AJ's motive and to see if this was possibly premeditated or if he was just waiting for an open opportunity or if there's more victims that we don't know about, things like that. So with that being said, we'll also be investigating if there's other victims. This will include a deep investigation on AJ's life whether he moved or has other houses, he travels a lot, we do know that. Now AJ doesn't have a completely innocent background. In 2014, he was accused of rape. However, the victim decided to not pursue the criminal charges. They closed out the interview by saying, Our commitment to everyone is we will follow up on every lead, every tip, and those questions will be answered. And ultimately, we're doing this because we want to get it right. And we want to get justice for Mackenzie. 
As of right now, AJ is held without bail until charges are filed, which at this time are aggravated murder, aggravated kidnapping, obstruction of justice, and desecration of a human body. The University of Utah held a vigil on Monday, July 1st, remembering Mackenzie. And although this is the conclusion of this week's episode, we want to keep Mackenzie's family and friends in our thoughts as they get through this devastating time. Although we don't have the full details just yet because this is an active and open case, feel free to jump onto our Facebook discussion page for updates. As always, you can find pictures of what we came across on our website at crimesaladpodcast.com and also on our Instagram at crimesaladpodcast. Help support Crime Salad by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to follow us on Instagram and be sure to tell a friend about Crime Salad. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you again. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast delivering a healthy portion of crime. Crime Salad is a weird salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. And here's a quick message from our friends. Hi, this is Edward October for OctoberPodVHS.com, here to tell you what people are saying about our true crime podcast. A thread store in Arizona says, too much dribble and slang. These ladies obviously enjoy their own humor and sound high. Hey, at least they called you ladies. Benny from Idaho says, your topics are so appealing, but a three-person pod is difficult enough to follow without banter. Um, our true crime podcast only has two people wait 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 wait. where's the other 100 five-star reviews can somebody give me the five-star reviews okay here we go much better luscious lee says stand up five stars you girls are funny af i especially love the me and mrs jones rendition you sneak into the recording cherry g 107 says i struggle finding a new podcast and so far i've been hooked to you guys podcast keep up the good work thumbs up thumbs up smiley face our true crime podcast, two girls, one story, and lots of bad renditions of songs you love. Available on your favorite podcatcher. Go binge it today.